I am Simone Cipriani and I am an officer of the United Nations. And I'm Claire Press and I'm a sustainable fashion journalist. You are listening to the Ethical Fashion Podcast. We can change the world. Recently, the Ethical Fashion Initiative invited its community to bring its collective brain power to a hackathon. Why? To reimagine fashion's business as usual. So people from 60 countries, over 10 hours online, came up with creative solutions to four fashion challenges around the Fashion Week format, production, supply chains and regulation. A lot of people have been asking what went down. So we're starting a new podcast series with some episodes based on these themes. The first one being Fashion Weeks. Now, Simone, I feel like this is one of your favourites, right? I know Fashion Weeks have been driving you mad. You actually published an op-ed a little while ago where you said they have to change. And you wrote, fashion has adopted the language of sustainability and green stuff, but often it's a form of camouflage aimed at hiding the reality. Simone, can you read some of that op-ed for us? These displays are the way in which brands are celebrated and publicized and the way in which they conduct part of their business. But the organizational structure of Fashion Weeks is not sustainable. They run one after the other, forcing industry staff to travel across the globe while producers work in emergency-like conditions to have garments show ready. In the meantime, Consumers are bombarded by a mountain of images and faces of influencers who do not really speak about how garments are made or about their impact on people's lives and on the planet. All these while our planet risks extinction. Is this meaningful? Instead of fashion weeks, what we need are events that enable people to think, to imagine a responsible future. Okay, it's clear that fashion weeks have to change, but actually they already are. I mean, coronavirus has forced many to postpone, cancel or think digital. The future is obviously still being written and the big four fashion weeks are actually planned for September, but no doubt they will feel different with social distancing, with people less keen to travel and with new digital possibilities. In this episode, we speak to some of the people who took part in the hackathon and we ask, how might we redesign the Fashion Week format, make it more inclusive, step up the digital engagement and ambition, and maybe use the Fashion Week format in a completely new way to celebrate design, art and culture? I'm still a believer of the human aspect of Fashion Week. It's tactile. I think there's a reason that they exist and using technologies as a way of heightening it Already everyone streams their fashion shows, right? And so is just everyone going to start just relying on that more so than the live event? And if so, like, what's the next iteration of that? Like, what makes it special to go online and watch this fashion show rather than just, like, look at photographs of it? At what point does the physical part of it even need to come into play? Some people, myself included, get more excited about wearing a... I don't know, a Chanel jacket in second life than we do about wearing a Chanel jacket in real life. At some point, online also gets boring. I mean, to me, it's great, but you do need to interact with people. You'll be able to put on VR goggles to experience the runway, but you would still have real life models. We as humans relate to other humans. Right now, with the 3D modeling and the avatars, 
it's not at a stage where I can fully relate to it as a human. The purpose of the fashion week needs to be changed. Right now, we just present the product, but we are not presenting the people who's created or make these beautiful garments. My strong suggestion is to put a human connection between consumer and a garment. Welcome to the very first episode of the Ethical Fashion Podcast. I'm delighted to have you, Susie Menkes, as our guest. Susie, you are Vogue's international editor and one of the world's best loved and most respected fashion critics. Thank you for joining us. Well, Simone, I, it's the other way around. I am so impressed by everything you do. We've known each other for quite a long time now, and uh, I salute you for continuing to work so bravely and so thoroughly. That's so kind of you. You heard me saying that fashion weeks have become a sort of unsustainable circus. A whole season of fashion weeks uh, produces the same carbon footprint you would need to lighten up Times Square for 58 years. Do you think there is need for change and why? There's need for change in the way that fashion is shown and seen. But against that, I would say that it's not the shows themselves that are a bad thing. It's the fact they were allowed to get so out of hand. But, you know, it's a long time. I was still at the International Herald Tribune when I wrote about the chaos involved in the fashion shows. And because I had lived through so much, I had begun my fashion career by seeing shows in very minor situations. In other words, not many people there, very sort of polite and quiet. Then it became louder, but not the kind of drumbeat that we have now. But... How was going to fashion shows in the early days? I always associate the Herald Tribune to Jean Seberg in the streets of Paris, in Obu du Souffle, advertising the newspaper, International Herald Tribune, International Herald Tribune, that incredible movie with Jean-Paul Belmondo. How was going to the fashion shows? How was it? What kind of experience was it? Well, of course, I didn't go quite back to the uh, 1950s, the post-war period. I wasn't old enough to see fashion shows then. But um, I suppose, really, the um, difference was moving from London, where the 1960s was such a vibrant and extraordinary time and clothes changed so much. It was much slower in Paris and where I lived with the International Herald Tribune. But still, the great, great difference was that the shows were meant for the clients and the professionals. So I want to explain the difference, that if you're talking about couture, obviously it's all for the clients. But even the high end, there were clients front row, not celebrities, unless they were people who were genuine friends of the designer. And the other side were the very serious buyers who had to decide what to get And the layout was not so very different from what we have now or what we had now before the pandemic. But what was different is, was the numbers. There just were more and more people crowded into the fashion shows and not just into the shows, but outside on the sidewalks, everywhere. People almost holding their own fashion shows and dressing up for the event. That was the big change. And I would say that was roundabout 
the new millennium, the end of the 90s. It's been stopped dramatically by the situation and by this virus. But it's certainly a good thing to give us time, everybody in the fashion industry, to think, to make decisions, to discuss how the way of showing fashion could be better done. And so if you had a magic wand, what would you keep and what would you discard of the old system? I think it's so hard to decide how to handle a change. To do it in the dramatic way that's happening now because of um, COVID-19, the idea that you stop the shows immediately and you see it all digitally does not resonate with me. I need to see fashion, even though you can't touch it when you're in a room, when a show is being presented, you feel you can touch it. You see the nuances of the fabric in the light. You don't get any of that when you're doing it digitally. So I don't know what the answer is. I would like to see some shows come back and perhaps in the others, what we need is an explanation. Perhaps the designer, himself, herself, speaking about what is special, what is special about a fabric or about a cut, so that we have more information given to us when we are not seeing the actual um, clothes up close. Do you think this COVID-19 is really pushing the industry towards a more sustainable approach? I see the open letter of Dries van Noten. I see uh, Gucci rejecting seasonality. We are seeing now London Fashion Week changing and all the rest. Do you think it's a real push towards a more sustainable industry? I think that there's been a feeling that sustainability is too important for the fashion world to dismiss it. And not everybody has. When you speak of Adrice van Noten, I've been to his place and seen how he saves so much in the way of the fabrics, that there are many designers out there who are thoughtful, who are not trying to be too brash or to waste anything. But of course, the real difficulty we're talking about here is the difference between high fashion, as it was once called, the fashion that we see on the runways, and the clothing that comes in in these great bundles from countries all over the world and mostly countries where the people who make them are treated extremely badly. So I think there has to be a, a difference that's made really clear between the fashion when we're talking about high fashion, as it used to be called, and fashion meaning piles and heaps of clothing. Well, there are fashion weeks all around the world. And there's lots of buzz about the likes of Shanghai and Seoul and Lagos and Mumbai, for example. The centering of New York, London, Milan and Paris helps keep the format feel exclusive. I asked Roberta Annan from an African perspective what she thinks are some of the alternatives. Hello, everyone. I'm Roberta Annan and I'm calling in from Accra, Ghana in West Africa. I am the United Nations Environment Program, UNEP, supporter for the creative economy. I'm also the founder of the African Fashion Foundation, a nonprofit organization that I founded in 2014 to support and nurture raw talent in the fashion industry on the continent. Our first fellow was Kenneth Ize. He was a fellow that did our internship in New York for six months at one of the LVMH brands out of New York City. And basically the whole idea is to identify talent that is on the continent and help give them positioning globally. 
The talent on the continent is not rare. The opportunity is rare. They have the creativity, they have the abilities, but they don't have access to international markets. They don't have financing. They don't have industry opportunities. They don't have, you know, even the education to understand the business aspects of their fashion. The fashion industry in Africa is very fragmented. So if you look at the whole continent, there are 54 countries, different cultures, over 2,000 ethnic groups, over 3,000 languages spread across such a large land mass. So we as a continent need to even be more integrated. We need to have a competitive position or play in the international fashion scene, just like how other Asian markets have done it. I believe that we need to be able to be at the forefront of major international fashion players. So like if you are looking at it from a press point of view, from buyers, you know, we're often left out. And the reason why we're left out is because we don't have the infrastructure to actually build an industry. We don't have the economies of scale. But Roberta, Africa does have its own established fashion weeks. They do. They do. They're major ones on the continent. Ghana is big. Kenya is huge in the creative sector. Lagos is big. Of course, there's a population of 200 million people. Um, It's a huge, huge opportunity. South Africa is also big. There's AFI, African Fashion International, started by Dr. Precious Masope. And then there's also South African Fashion Week. In fact, South Africa started the trend, South African Fashion Week, and then Lagos Fashion Week, and then Arise and GT Bank Fashion Week, and all these other platforms emerged. The Senegal, Dakar Fashion Week. And even in, in Ethiopia, by Anna Gatena, there's um, Africa Mosaic. Yeah, but there's still this obsession with Paris, right? Even just like the way me talking just now about the big four. I don't know. Do you think it's old fashioned? And if you could change it all, if you were the queen of international fashion for the day, how would you change it? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. You know what? I'll bring the attention to new markets. Okay. So how about we make the major fashion city an African one? Bring everybody here. Bring all the buyers, bring all the press, bring them here. And also allow us to have a proper package where they get to also visit the artisans and see those people working and transforming and changing their communities. That's what I would do. Because I am somebody that feels Africa can lead in the next (laughs) phase after COVID. And the reason why I say that is we have a very young population and we can definitely use this opportunity to our advantage by, you know, understanding the creative abilities that's here and really using that to position that we missed out the digital boom and the industrial revolution. When it comes to creativity and innovation, I think Africa can lead it. The population of Africans and at the age of 25 is 65%. So that's quite a large young population, which is to me an investment potential as well. And young people being innovative and creative and also having access to information, which was not available, let's say 10 years ago. Now there's information. So they're able to access different markets very easily. And they're able to present their ideas and their creativity to a wider audience. And I believe this is what COVID-19 has done. Everybody is at home with the lockdowns and, and all that. People are getting creative and they're finding ways to reach international audiences. 
COVID-19 has obviously caused a lot of disruption and hardship. And I don't want to underplay the health and livelihood consequences. But do you think that some good can come out of this moment? Because it's also one of protest and the Black Lives Matter movement. But just looking at fashion. With everything that is happening, I think people are becoming more sensitive about how their actions impact other people's lives, right? So I think it's time for us to promote inclusivity. And I think what we can do in terms of fashion weeks is to promote more inclusivity. So how do we do that, Claire? I think one of the ways to do that is, of course, one is using digital platforms to be able to reach a wider audience than the the kind of selected few <laughs> that were allowed to sit on the front row and, you know, partake in such, to look at the new collections of all these big brands. I think to have an inclusive model is to make sure that it's accessible to a wider audience. Because at the end of the day, the consumers are often not the ones in the room, right? But they don't even have access. So that is one way of doing things. The other way of doing things is really focusing more on the grassroots and who are the people behind the production, you know, of this apparel, like the textiles or the dress, the artisans, you know, that are local, that are doing the work. How about highlighting them a little bit and giving them the platform to also showcase their work? And it's all about promoting inclusivity. And what we have done, and I'll tell you an example of what we've done with the foundation, is a group of women in Ghana called Kaya. Kaya are headquarters, okay? So these women are normally trafficked from the northern parts of the country to the city center and promised employment. So they end up on the street. Some of them get raped. It's a real social issue. So what we've done as a foundation is we've offered them safe housing and we're also teaching them skills. So we're teaching them different craftsmanship, sewing, beadwork, and all of that. And in addition, we are also pairing them up with established fashion designers. So we've selected three, okay? And we are placing these women there so they can come up with a collection. And one of the things that we're trying to do is to showcase the women. So we did a, an article in Vogue Italia with the women on the cover. They're called headquarters, Kaya women, and we gave them some visibility. And we also want to give them visibility and economic empowerment through this partnership and a collection that will most likely be showed virtually in September. We need to make sure the artisans are really not excluded from this bright digital future we're talking about. How do you think we can get that balance right? I think we can have an online and offline component. So a digital component is where people can utilize the digital platform, right, to showcase the collection to a wider audience. And then we could also have activations locally that focuses on the storytelling, so highlighting these women. So taking the women in their communities working on a specific trade and even looking at how the community engages them, because it would really amaze you, Claire, if you come to Ghana, for instance, and you see some of the women in the northern part and how they work in communities, how they train their young. Because most of the time, when women are economically empowered, they, they empower their communities. Most of the time when men are empowered, it's an individual thing. So you see how they actually impact and transform the communities. It's an amazing thing to witness. And I think these stories need to also be highlighted 
offline and get people to really address because of course with COVID people are going to be more sensitive about crowds and being in open spaces with so many people so we can do smaller gatherings and activations where we really focus on these artisans. It's just a totally new way of looking at fashion weeks because they traditionally focus on the designer. I'm somebody that really wants to focus on the authenticity And so my focus is to really highlight the people behind the scenes who don't often get the opportunity to be seen and giving the opportunity to those people because fast fashion and, you know, the whole glitz and glam, it's, you know, I feel that what COVID has done is just really making us more sensitive about humanity. And I think what Fashion Week should be is to focus on humanity and really empowering and supporting humanity. And that's what we need to do. Focusing more on the people. When I talk about the three Ps, so people, planet, before profits. <laughs> we need to definitely, I like the word, recalibrate <laughs> so that the emphasis goes on people and planet before profit. I'm interested, what are you hearing from the designers you're working with? It's so amazing how this whole situation has transformed the way they think. People are so innovative. And it fascinates me that a lot of them are thinking about impacting lives and transforming lives on the continent and really focusing on their culture and their heritage. So that movement is already happening. And I think what I'm hearing from them is we need a seat at the table. We need buyers. We need people to look at our collections the way they would look at a big brand. You know, we need to be able to have a fair value for our creativity. Maybe different countries should take it in turns to hold the season's big week so it's more democratic. I think so. I think so. Like the Olympics. Like So this year is Ghana, Accra. I'm happy to host everybody. Just come over to my city. <laughs> and then we can do something in Australia. We can do something in Colombia the next year. Yes, I think that's what it should be. And so people that you add a bit of soul to it. The current model for Fashion Weeks definitely could be more inclusive. It could also be way less polluting. You heard Simone mention Times Square in the intro. That was a reference from a 2020 report that looked into the combined carbon emissions from buyers and designers travelling to the Big Four Fashion Weeks in a 12-month period. And it was indeed enough to light up Times Square in New York for 58 years. Taking the shows digital could reduce that footprint. Okay, good. But also, says Rachel Arthur, who we're about to hear from, it might get us thinking about the system's other sustainable impacts. We need more data and we need to recognise that everything is connected. I'm Rachel Arthur and I'm a writer and sustainability consultant. Rachel, you're working on a new project with Google. You're focused on materials. Could you just summarise that for us, please? In short, what we're doing is we're aiming to bring greater data accuracy to the raw material stage of the supply chain, where we know so much of the environmental impact of the fashion industry takes place. Um, So that's covering things like the huge volumes of emissions released, water use, pollution caused and much more. What we also know is that the fashion supply chain is so highly fragmented. So what Google and WWF are doing, and I'm very fortunate to have been a consultant on this for the past 18 months, is to build a platform that can shed some light on all this. So it's, for instance, helping you determine what is the best cotton to source and where exactly to get it from. And it's also helping you to understand the midst of all of these huge targets the industry has got set around things like carbon emissions. How much are we actually using down our supply chain and how can we start to reduce that in some way? 
it's kind of built on this premise of like knowledge is power. If you can measure it, you can start to understand how to change it. I understand why the focus is on materials. We often hear that it's something like 70% of a product's impact is found Mm -hmm. in the material stage. But if fashion is going to take climate action seriously, do you think we also need to look at the impact of things like shoots and events, including fashion weeks? Yeah, hugely. I mean, at the end of the day, the change that is needed in this industry is fundamentally systemic. So that means every single constituent part plays some sort of role in terms of its contribution to the climate and ecological crisis. And thus it needs to be thought about together. Fashion weeks, as you say, are crucial. You know, there's the impact of the event themselves in terms of carbon footprint. But there's also the very fact that they're designed to promote consumption full stop. So how do we need to think about that differently, about the waste that's created in the process, about the overconsumption behaviours that are fed further down the fashion food chain? about how this notion of constant newness could evolve and adapt to better align with circular practices, maybe. The list goes on and on and on. How can we balance, for instance, supply and demand and not just produce more and more and more that doesn't really mean anything anymore? I think that's probably one of the industry's biggest challenges fundamentally. And again, it all comes back to that idea of systems change. You know, everything here is intertwined and interconnected and we need to completely rethink it all full stop. Rachel, you're reminding me of something that you said during the hackathon. You were talking about how we maybe need to figure out what fashion weeks are for. So it's almost like dialing it back. Okay, this is a system problem, but also it may be a purpose problem. If we if we come right back to the beginning and we start to think what are fashion weeks actually for, what you'd said was we need to maybe decouple this idea of entertainment with wholesale. Do you want to just talk us through that? Yeah, I think this plays into this so much. I mean, the industry has been trying to create shows that do everything in one go. And I think that's why we've got ourselves in such a muddle. You know, we've been talking for several years now about this notion of see now, buy now. And that didn't work. And I think it mainly didn't work because we couldn't really decide what we were actually trying to achieve with it. You know, there's so many variations on the same theme and nobody really getting it right. Or or perhaps more importantly, nobody buying into a singular idea to be able to get it right. And obviously what we're seeing at the moment is that the conversations are really evolving around how to shift all of that in terms of the calendar and the show schedule and the seasonality and more. And for once, I think there is real appetite and desire to all get on the same page. So I think we're at a moment where that will actually happen, which is really great. But getting shows right here is is crucial. And I think with any project strategy that has to start with understanding your objective and Mm. who your audience is and that's what I think has been wrong you know so there's on the one side there are as you say the the wholesale side and understanding who the trade buyer is or indeed the press and on the other side there's of course the um, consumer themselves and I think those are two very different experiences and we're trying to you know put it all into one bucket Mm. and that's necessarily the answer and I think if we do decouple it and I love that word if we totally separate them it's going to become much more interesting in terms of what we can achieve because if the objectives are different I think the strategy has to be different and we've not really been thinking about it in that way. And so it's almost like there are two ways of looking at it either a big shiny fashion show is a marketing opportunity primarily it's entertainment it's the way that a brand gets great social media content If we do look at Fashion Week's purpose to be to serve the wholesale buyers, do you think it's doing a good job as it stands? And if not, how might we change it? 
It's really difficult. And I mean, I think it does come down to that notion of decoupling the two things, you know, separating them out and saying what fundamentally as a buyer do you need? And also what can be possible within this new world of what we're living in? And I think, you know, we've all now been a very short period of time, which I find fascinating in itself, because we've been talking about digital for you know, a very long time now. But within the last few months, we've suddenly got to grips with, OK, we can do things remotely, we can live virtually and we can get through our work on a day to day basis. And I think that needs to pivot into fashion weeks as well. Mm. And so I think from a wholesale perspective, there's going to be increasing evolution there as to what we actually need. Mm. And a lot of that is going to be digital. So what sort of things like virtual showrooms or like... I think that's the it's the easy one to leap mm-hmm. to, isn't it? You know, I, I need a virtual digital showroom appointment of some description. But I think what's interesting here is that the buyer also needs that sort of more immersive and tactile exploration of the collection. And how do you put those two things together and start to think about what does that look like? Hopefully it means less in the way of travel all around the world on a constant basis you know, for the environmental side, as we've talked about, but also the sort of mental well-being of, of the individuals having to do it constantly. And I don't think anybody's got this figured out yet. What, what I'm very clear on myself is that that has to be a very different experience because it can be much more almost operational, if you will. You know, mm. how do I as a buyer do the job I need to do versus how do I get wowed with this great big entertainment experience? <laughs> And I think they can sit separately. How do we do that in a way that maintains a level of interest and engagement that obviously Fashion Weeks have been so famous for, especially if we're doing it online? And I think what we haven't been overly impressed with thus far is that, you know, a lot of the digital show schedules, and obviously we're seeing that currently as being entirely digital, but it has been many, many years that we've seen digital versions of Fashion Weeks in some capacity. What we haven't seen, however, is things that are really truly inspiring when you start looking at it across the entire schedule. You know, if you put up a schedule that's got back-to-back short fashion films, do you think that yours is going to be one that stands out from the next? Or do you think your consumer is going to sit through loads of them back-to-back and remain engaged? Mm. And I think your most loyal customers will, but how does that help with things like customer acquisition, um, which obviously is really important? So I think it's about thinking outside the box, which we haven't really seen happen yet. We've been talking about going digital Mm. for over a decade, you know, that first live streaming. And and that's when I was reporting mainly as a journalist back then was into what, 2010 for Alexander McQueen. And and that at that point, that was innovation. That was big news that that was possible because the technology was so new. And the struggle initially was that the technology wasn't good enough. You know, it it sort of it broke down all of the time. It cost loads of money. But then what happened, of course, is that it did become really accessible. And so we have been doing it over the years. But the novel is worn off and what hasn't shifted is the fashion mindset Mm. and right now obviously there's no choice but to go digital we're seeing that happening and I think what the challenge is that sat there very open for people to I hope grab hold of and see as an opportunity is to do something that's a little bit more interesting or exciting that drives that engagement you know moves beyond films and as you say lookbooks and straightforward digital catwalk shows. How can we ensure that it's not just the big brands with all the money who get to lead the digital revolution? Well, I asked the founder of a fashion week that's been focusing only on emerging sustainable designers. She is Evelyn Mora from Helsinki Fashion Week, which used to happen in Finland, but next month it goes online with designers showing from India, Korea, Holland and China. My name is Evelyn Mora. I'm a founder of Helsinki Fashion Week. We are creating an entirely 3D 
Fashion Week. So basically that means creating 3D immersive environments for each fashion designer and brand, digitizing their new collections in collaboration with digital SLA partners from, you know, patterns to buttons to stitches to swatches to textures, everything. We are building those looks on the avatars that have been 3D scanned, like real people that have been 3D scanned into that digital environment. We call it the digital village where the 3D Fashion Week will take place. What's really exciting for me is that there is completely different set of tools to deliver a message or make an impact in the digital world. You uh, log in, we will create a digital twin of you. We will place (laughs) a digital twin on the blockchain so we can follow your digital footprint. After that, you will be entering your own digital sanctuary, which is like your own private cocoon, which is uh, synchronizing with your current state of mind in terms of color, sound, duration factor. And you met with a digital assistant. Yeah, digital assistant, we call her Cookie. She's a Pandorobot's AI conversational chatbot, which is a very cheeky and nice personality to be accompanied by in the digital village. So whenever you go see the fashion shows, you go through your digital sanctuary and you'll have a conversations with Cookie about, um, you know, your experiences um, and your feedback. And we will, in real time, uh, modify the environment and your experience to... Uh, serve you basically. We are working with a multidisciplinary professionals from different fields like gaming, architecture, information architects, with fields of psychology, neurology. So it's a very diverse group of professionals that are building this experience. So the whole point of the the big vision is to enable the 3D social network that focuses on democratizing data, giving the creative individuals access to collaborate, show and create. So, you know, in the platform, obviously it's commercial, but we don't prioritize monetary value, but we prioritize the user's sustainable experience and we approach the monetary value as a tool to further empower the collective prosperity that we want to build. So you will actually feel the community aspect of the platform. Okay, but I got to say, it sounds expensive. What are the challenges to working this way? You know, being the first is always good because it's literally landing to a new planet and you (laughs) get to, you know, be the first one. How do you say the early bird gets the worm? That's how I feel with this project uh, specifically. Like if I would start to do this now, it will be very much more different story. So, um, what well, people wanted to get on board with the pioneering aspect of it. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. And I feel like the 3D society and the tech industry was desperately waiting for something like this to happen that would connect different disciplines. Like, for instance, how we've built the 3D fashion shows is um, really interesting because we have 3D fashion designers working with traditional fashion designers from, you know, creating the patterns to every single little detail of tailoring that specific look into the digital world. Incredible. And it's all about quality. You know, you can do anything in 3D, but it doesn't mean it's beautiful and it's immersive and it really gives you that sense of story. So it's all about quality. Okay. We find ourselves at this pivotal point where change is being almost forced on the industry after the shutdowns. But why do you think we need to change the format beyond this? Because I think that this is not only limited to fashion, but things change because we evolve. So change is the most natural thing in the world. But 
different institutions or industries are really resistant to change and that creates friction. And that friction exists because of different agendas. Mm. And I think that the big visions and values must be the same. So we can as collectively compass our values sort of lead us when we work. So it's really, I think it's all about putting your values first and let your values to lead you. But that is difficult. I mean, mm. that is challenging. Mm. But I always mm. say, not always, but now nowadays, I've been saying and asking this question to myself that what kind of reality do I want to contribute to? You know, and I mean, when there is resistance to change and we try to push like these old ways that no longer resonate with the new generation, it creates, you know, friction. And you can see it everywhere in in politics, in, in fashion. And yet there are broader calls for change. I mean, Susie and Simone mentioned Dries van Noten's open letter to the fashion industry, which calls to adjust the seasonality and flow of collections and also reduce waste and travel and use more digital showrooms. Now, that's been signed by people like Craig Green, Mary Catranzu, Marine Serre, also Tori Birch and Missoni. Simone and I have signed it. But it's not the only collective push for change. Rewiring fashion is a proposal that came out of a conversation mostly with independent designers, but also retail and CEOs. And it was started by Business of Fashion. At the time of recording, it's got about 2,000 supporters. Evelyn, you've been part of these discussions. What's been suggested? They are suggesting renew the fashion calendar, rethink the fashion show format, and you know, think about the whole discount aspect. I think it's very important what they're doing. So rewiring fashion as a concept is very effective and good, but as an idea. But as long as we have a mindset of battling, competing, we won't be able to pull it off. It's really simple. We have to build an industry that serves the consumer in a most sustainable way and adapt the industry around that. Okay, but how do we make it inclusive? Now, I know that you have been working with emerging designers, but how do we make digital fashion weeks inclusive? And how can we ensure that when we're trying to democratize this system, we're not locking out smaller or poorer designers? The thing about digital is that it's limitless. Anyone can participate, anyone can join. So geographically, it's democratic. Yeah, you don't have to fly to Paris. Technology has made us more inclusive. Like if you think about social media, just as a simple example, anyone can be heard. The whole thing about internet is that it's decentralized. Actually, I think that digital fashion is very democratic because it gives access to anyone to participate. People do have access to technology and it has taken over our whole reality. This is something that the new generation sees value in. And all of these 15 designers that we will be showcasing are for the first time doing this. So it's very experimental for all of us, but the feedback and the results so far has been extraordinary because of the the lack of limitations. You know, you can be creative and really express yourself in ways that doesn't require you to take a loan. (laughs) Yeah. And actually, it's interesting that you started out working with very small names, brand new names, names that no one had, that hadn't hit the international map. And now that's who you're working with on this. This is not being led by big brands. In fact, they're the ones slower to take this stuff up. Yeah, I think the fashion industry is the status quo, as they say, is too sort of narrow. And 
I do see a very important role of the bigger fashion houses, but they no longer dictate where this industry is going. I didn't we really honestly uh, notice this like years ago when we started seeing things on streets before we saw it on a fashion show, right? <laughs> they would take things from the streets. So trend setting and really like the status quo has changed, but the industry hasn't admitted it and has been resistant to it. And digital fashion and digital environment just really resets that. And uh, I think in the end of the day, it's all about what we prioritize, which is a collective well-being, you know, democratic, open community that allows you to take part. Thank you for listening, my friends. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at ethicalfashioninitiative.org and we are on Instagram at ethicalfashion. Just don't shout because I feel like it's quite ah, okay. noisy. Okay, just the rest. Yeah, yeah, go on. I have the syndrome of the... Will you have silent or the, shouting? <laughs> yeah, no, I have the syndrome of the presenter in, in an old Italian ballroom. Uh, oh. where I, <laughs> I love it. Because I used to be a waiter when I was in university. And the waiter, I used to work in a restaurant, which after dinner was transformed into a ballroom. So... It was fun. So did you say, and now it's time for the dancing? And now, adesso si balla. <laughs> and everybody, boom, boom. <laughs> Can you help spread the word and share our story with your friends on social media? Our mission is to work towards sustainable development and create long-term impact in the communities where we operate. Through extensive training and mentorship, we build capacity and enable artisans to produce for the international market. Through this program, workers are empowered and can lift themselves out of poverty. Not charity, just work. Mm-hmm.